Thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. I'm your host. I'm Pastor Sean Cole. I'm the lead pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. I also serve as an adjunct instructor at Colorado Christian University. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Last week, a group of us from Emmanuel Baptist Church went to Louisville, Kentucky for the Together for the Gospel Conference. Um, I'm one of those rare people that have been to every single one of the T4Gs going all the way back to 2006. Um, This time we brought a group from our church, and so I've invited um, Andrew Hayes. He's no stranger to the podcast. Uh, He's joined me many times. He's our illustrious youth pastor at Emmanuel Baptist Church, and he went along with some others of our church. And so I've asked him to come alongside me today to give some reflections on our experience of Together for the Gospel. So, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be back. Uh, I was going to say, do I get to add illustrious to my job title now? Yeah, we can add illustrious to your yeah. job title. So right. that so every time I introduce you at church on Sunday, or you introduce yourself during the welcome, you can say, I'm illustrious youth pastor Andrew <laughs> Hayes. So, <laughs> anyway. Well, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting um, time. We had a great time. Um, the theme this year for 2018 was distinct from the world. And I think the focus was going to be on, at least when I went in, my thought was that it was going to be on holiness, it was going to be on sanctification, um, it was going to kind of be a follow-up from last year, which was more on justification. Right. Um, one of the things that's interesting, and I'm going to actually mention this in my sermon this Sunday, um, John Calvin has famously talked about the double grace in the gospel uh, justification and sanctification, the two double graces. Obviously, justification is, you know, we're counted righteous by Christ on account of the imputed righteousness of Christ, where God can make the legal verdict that we're not guilty. That's the first grace in the gospel. Then Calvin says the second grace in the gospel is to pursue a life of holiness and integrity um, as an outflow of that justification. So I think their concept was, okay, 2016, focus on justification leading up to the 500th anniversary right. of the Protestant Reformation. This year, two years later, let's talk about the second of the double graces, sanctification being distinct from the world. That's kind of what I went in thinking that the, the conference was. I, I think they did a little, I think, let me ask you, did you, do you think they accomplished the theme of distinct from the, from the world? Depends on who we're talking about, I guess. I, I feel like there, there were some, some of the speakers definitely focused on holiness and sanctification and this, the, the Christian identity of being distinct and separate from the world. Because, um, yeah, I went in thinking holiness, actually, honestly, because of all the scandals that have been going on in, in ministry this last year, <laughs> yeah. I was expecting to hear more about that. Yeah. So I was kind of surprised that they weren't, you know, talking about the holiness of the pastor. Right. And I don't think there was a message really focused on that. So I was a little surprised by that. Yeah, that was an interesting observation with, you know, I mean, I think Bill Hybels happened during the T4G. I think I, I looked at something on Twitter or something where he, like, resigned. And then, you know, a couple weeks before, Dr. Frank Page, of the executive director of the Southern Baptist Convention, and then, you know, just recent major figures in evangelicalism have fallen from grace. And so... Yeah, so I was really surprised that they didn't touch on that because it's a conference for pastors. So I thought there was going to be a uh, a heightened call for pastors to pursue holiness yeah. as an example to the flock. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, let's do this. Um, some of you, some of our listeners may have been there, and it was a great time. If you're, um, I had a chance to meet with some of the guys that I'm in a Facebook group with, and I think they listen to the podcast, and I think one or two of them asked me if I was going to do a reflection. And so here's the reflection, guys, and, and just let me just say a, a word. Um, it was a great time to meet those that I had never met before that you meet through um, social media, and then you finally get to meet them in person. Um, I think you made some connections, too, with some other youth pastors and some maybe some seminary lunches that you took right. advantage of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, you know, it's just one of those ideas. I was kicking around, you know, like pursuing some additional schooling and perspectives. They had a couple of lunches to come check out their doctoral programs, and, you know, something I've been kicking around the idea of because I've been teaching, as, you, as your listeners know, I've been teaching community college and mm-hmm. Uh, maybe moving into some Christian colleges as well, and so you know, just trying to kind of get more well-rounded. I guess I'm a perpetual student; I yeah. can't get away from it. So you went to the Midwestern dinner and had a great dinner there. Then you right. went to the Southern Seminary right. luncheon. Or yeah, was it Southern the, Seminary okay. luncheon. Okay, and then also we got to go to the Vine Project mm-hmm. breakfast, which was good. So, well, let's just talk about the um, the, the the first speaker was Mark Dever, which is pretty. Um, normal because Mark Dever is pretty much the brainchild, I think, of this entire conference. Right. Uh, the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in um, Washington, D.C. Um, and so he kind of set the tone, uh, set the stage for what the conference was going to be about. And I think it was his title was Holiness Together. And he gave, um, was it nine? <laughs> Sticking with the nine marks, he gave, <laughs> right. he gave nine um, ways that we can be holy together. Um, what, what was your thought on the first, the first sermon that we heard? You know, it was really interesting, uh, just from the get-go, because I know the speakers really are for expositional preaching, and it was kind of interesting, because it wasn't expositional, it was more topical. Um, yeah, yeah he, he started with 2 Peter 3, 8, and read the passage, and never went back to it, then just gave 9. So it was, I don't know if it was exactly a sermon, as it was more of a talk. Right. Yeah. I, I guess... And I think that even when I was um, doing Facebook Messenger with some of the guys that I was doing, um, one of the guys mentioned that, you know, I haven't seen an expository sermon yet right. um, until H.B. Charles, I think, came up. But so, so Mark Dever, I mean, commit yourself to holiness. I think, you know, one of the things I appreciated about his message was he had some really good things to say. It's just he packed so much into one message. I wish he would have picked like one or two as opposed to nine and then unpack those. Right. I really liked I think he had a point about... Uh, conversion, you know, mm-hmm. the importance of stressing true and genuine conversion mm-hmm. among the congregation and the importance of that. And I kind of wish you would have just settled there because I think that was a would have been a good yeah. place to kind of settle. I mean, he kind of weaved in the nine marks. I mean, the, the first thing he said was commit yourself to preach through the Bible, systematically exposing people to the scriptures. I mean, obviously, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, emphasize God what you're excited about give re- gives remembrance and retention. Number three, emphasize how you become a Christian. I think that was what you were talking about, conversion. Um, I think the one of the things that I liked um, is number eight, where he said, pray publicly and specifically about hopes and problems in your church. Right. I mean, be a culture where you're not hiding sin and you're dealing with real issues. Um, and I, one of the things he said that I really caught was he says, we catechize our church each week by how we publicly pray. Right. How do you, how do you respond to that? Well, I think it's true because uh, a lot of our, uh, I think of like how the, in youth ministry, how the youth learn to pray is by how I pray publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
they are learning publicly just a, a language, a way to go about prayer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, often I don't really think about the prayer, my public prayers as a catechesis or mm -hmm. teaching tool, but they are. The youth are hearing how to pray publicly and yeah. they take that privately. Yeah, I, I think I learned this from Art Zerdia one time when I was listening to him and he was talking about how when you do your pastoral prayer, it's more than you are praying to the Lord, but you're also, since it's a public prayer, you're also modeling to your people how to pray, and you're actually catechizing them. And so um, I wonder how much attention we get. I mean, we give a lot of attention to our preaching and to our teaching. I wonder how much attention we get to preparing our public prayers, or do we just get up there and, you know, there's some people that say it's not, you're not holy if, if, if it's not, you know, spontaneous right. or extemporaneous and you're not being led by the Spirit. But I wonder, you know, like one of our elders who actually went on the trip with us, I mean, he scripts his prayers on Sunday mornings when he does the opening prayer just because I think he's thoughtful and wants to make sure what he says is not just off the, off the cuff. And I really appreciate that. Right. Yeah, I, I would. I mean, I, unfortunately, I think a lot of times when we uh, aren't prepared in a public prayer, we tend to ramble. Oh, yeah. And feel like we got to fill the void. Um, you know, like there's this, we kind of have that sense of how long we need to pray. Yeah. And we kind of get rambling. Yeah. So Mark Dever, nine things of holiness together. I think we both would agree that instead of doing nine and trying to pack it into an hour sermon, if you would have picked maybe one or two and really fleshed out that, it would have been more helpful as opposed right. to giving us such a big list. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were all good points. Oh, yeah. yeah and you know, I had no disagreement over the points that he picked. It was just, it was just a lot to kind of process and, and digest. Right. And I think it's kind of... I guess for, for whenever you think of like teaching or, or preaching, usually it's just you kind of want to emphasize one thing because if right. you don't do that, then it's kind of like you, you, you leave the message and not really sure what the... Yeah, and I, and I think even though it wasn't an expositional sermon, when we do expository preaching, we, we, we try to distill that sermon down to a thesis statement or a proposition or the big idea, and that's what your entire sermon is, is working around. And then you have sub points that support that. And I, I find that, man, if you have more than three you're probably going to lose people because it gets, I mean, like this Sunday, I may have a lot of points. I've got three main points and then three points under those. Right. So I've, I've got a lot of points. I mean, I got three main points and three sub points. That may be a lot to digest, but I think my sermon this Sunday is more application oriented than, than textually driven just because we've been dealing in a text in Galatians for three weeks expositionally. And then this Sunday I'm taking it more. How do we practically bring this to, to bear in the life of our church? So anything else on Mark Dever's sermon? No, it was a, I think it was a good opening. Okay. And, you know, I appreciated his, the tone that yeah, he sent, good. set. Well, the second thing was the panel, and this was really special. It was basically an homage to R.C. Sproul. They showed a really cool video of clips of him. And, and by the way, you can go to t4g.org, t4g.org, and get all of these videos. Um, they're up there. And basically, it was Ligon Duncan, Al Mohler, John MacArthur, and Mark Dever talking about their memories of R.C. Sproul and how they met him. And so what was right. impactful on that panel discussion about R.C. Sproul? You know, one of the things that caught me, because R.C. Sproul, uh, the precision of R.C. Sproul when it comes towards uh, theological language, that was one thing that they were reflecting on. Um, so yeah. in like the, the whole MacArthur-Sproul banter when MacArthur preached and said, you know, fully God, full, Christ is fully God, fully man, and then... Sproul corrects him and says, no, it's truly, truly God, God and truly man, because there can be kind of a, an idea that there's a, the fullness kind of has a, 
could bring in some misunderstandings sure. of who Jesus really is. So just the, the that sharp mind that he, you know, to be precise mm-hmm. with our language like that, we take care in how we yeah. talk about God. Exactly. Yeah, and I think what was neat was to hear how each of them kind of got introduced to R.C. Sproul through a tape ministry. Right. You know, it's here's the master of the tape ministry, John MacArthur, back in the 80s, you know, because he's known for, like, back in the 80s, like, John MacArthur tapes, that was kind of when it made its way across the world, and he got popular through cassette tapes, and then to hear John MacArthur say, I, w- I learned about R.C. Sproul, I listening to his cassette tapes, right. was kind of, that was kind of cool to hear about that. Well, and it was just like the, the Holiness of God, that series, um, they didn't watch Sproul teach it, they heard it mm-hmm. first, which I had the, when I was introduced to the Holiness of God series, I was able to watch him teach that mm-hmm. series, and I think that, yes, you can get Sproul's by the, uh, you know, Sproul's understanding and message through his, um, through, through his, just the audio, but really, when, when you watch him teach, you can just tell that he's, He's a teacher. Oh, yeah. And, and one of the things, this is kind of a, a personal story from the first T4G, that I, very first T4G in 2006. Um, it was in the Galt House Ballroom. Hmm. The, the new one, you know, they've been the Yum Center, which holds, what, 15, you know, there were 12,500 right. people there. The very first year in 2006, there were about 2,000 guys stuffed into a ballroom. And I got to be on the third row center when R.C. Sproul preached and it, the cool thing was not only to hear R.C. Sproul preach, but on the front row were all the speakers. So you had John MacArthur, Al Mohler, and, jo- and John Piper all right there. And I was like three seats behind them. And they're copiously taking notes while R.C. Sproul is preaching. And that was pretty cool to see. You, know, you got John MacArthur, John Piper, Al Mohler, guys, you're like, okay, those are like the brilliant men of our day. They're still willing to learn from someone like R.C. Sproul and take notes during the preaching. That was pretty neat to see. Yeah, the other thing that they mentioned about Sproul, which was kind of personal for them, and no, not something that we could get from his public ministry, but was just the uh, joyful enthusiasm he had for life, and that kind of yeah. stood out to me, and that I did something I didn't know yeah. about Sproul. Yeah, because we kind of see him as you know you 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 you're introduced to him through his writings, or maybe even through the video through Ligonier, but they told a lot of stories about times that they went to dinner and on the golf course and just the the times that they had behind the scenes where he was truly a man of joy and hu- humble and, you know, not, not afraid to speak his mind and put you in your place if you were wrong, but just his, his zest for life. Yeah, and just that enthusiasm, you know, that, that joy. And, and I guess it was a good reminder of that uh, theological precision and academic um, understanding is not at odds with Christian joy mm. uh, when done correctly. And He's there's always that temptation when you begin when you're very knowledgeable and can, you know, get really into academics and arguments to become so intellectual mm-hmm. that you lose that joy. And you're starting to sound like John Piper over here. <laughs> <laughs> you Christian hedonist, you. All right, anything else to talk about under R.C. Sproul's? No, it was, uh, I'm glad that they did the tribute because that, yeah. that was well done. Yeah. Well, this is one of the things in the conference, the, the third session, this is something that was kind of not mentioned at all, and that is the fact that C.J. Mahaney, was not on the program, and it was never mentioned why, or, and, and H.B. Charles was the kind of the last-minute stand-in for mm-hmm. him, and so he preached uh, session two from 1 Corinthians on the cross. Right. Um, his message was thoroughly expositional. I, right. I enjoyed his message very, very much so. Yeah, it was a good message, good reminder, like um, his kind of taking the, the distinct theme, that the, to be distinct from the world, we need to be distinct in our message, mm-hmm. and that message is the message of the cross. Yeah. 
Okay, I think his three points were the message determines eternal destiny, the message declares true wisdom, and the message defines Christian ministry. Um, I think he had some, and, and it was thoroughly expositional, and I think the way he ended it with that hymn right. um, that was kind of a, the crescendo uh, was a real powerful way to end that. Yeah, I, I, I guess no disagreements, just good, uh, I guess one of those things like good reminders in a, an encouraging message for us as pastors and leaders to keep ourselves rooted right. in the message of the cross. Yeah, that was good. Okay, let's get to the controversial one. Session three, David Platt. Um, David Platt preached on Amos 5 on um, basically racism and our need for repentance. He talked about racial injustice um, and gave us six exhortations on how to deal with, with race in America. Now, this was probably the most controversial aspect of the entire conference. There was an app that we had, the T4G right. app, where you can actually have comments. And you know, as I'm listening to this, you could follow people's comments. I don't know if you were following the comment stream and see what some people were saying through uh, that. I was more dialed into the message. I wasn't yeah. really looking at messages for that. I was trying to just kind of see where he was going. It almost seemed like he had two messages. Mm -hmm. Like he kind of had a, a brief exposition of Amos, and then he goes on about racism. And it, the connection, I mean, yeah, it was let justice roll down like waters, and he wanted to make a point about racial justice. Right. And, 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 but it's almost seemed kind of disconnected. Well, here's what I think what happened. This is my personal opinion. I felt like with all the things going on in our country, somehow in this conference there needed to be something on race. And so it was probably judicious to have a, um, a white person share that because the predominant audience is, is white. Um, David Platt, I think, was probably given the theme and then Obviously, Martin Luther King's famous I Have a Dream speech references Amos 5. Right. And so maybe he was taking a reference from that I Have a Dream speech and then doing an exposition of Amos 5 and then jumping out of that to give a six, six or, or was it five or six? I think it's six. Six or. exhortations. So his message was disconnected in that he did an exposition of Amos and then he went on and, and gave us exhortations. And he prefaced his message by saying, this is going to be controversial. Please pray for me. Some of you are not going to like what I have to say. So he right. knew going into it that it was going to be controversial. Right. And so this is a touchy subject. Um, we've talked a lot about it amongst ourselves afterwards. Um, I want to be fair, and I, and I probably need to go back and listen to it again to make sure that I fully understand what he's, he's saying. But what are your initial thoughts as you've reflected on David Platt's message? You know, to deny that race is a problem in, in America is just foolish sure. <laughs> and you know because you know race is a problem it's just I, I guess I wasn't quite sure a few of the things that he said how to how to process um process them individually like there was one thing that he said that I that kind of caught me as somewhat offensive um in the sense that you know he kind of they made they referenced sort of the racial makeup of the people of T4G and it, it was almost like shaming it almost felt like shaming us for being white right. and being there and it was just so are we not supposed to be here because we're white? I mean, it always right. came across that way. Sure. Well, and I think that the thing that I had, I didn't have a problem with the racism issue. I think he needed, uh, that probably needs to be talked about. Right. Obviously, um, you have biblical evidence, in, especially in Galatians 2, where uh, Paul says to Peter, because he withdrew from the Gentiles, mm -hmm. that he was not acting in step with the truth of the gospel. So there is a, a, a gospel aspect to prejudice and um, bias 
the thing that was kind of limiting to me was that he only limited it to black and white. Right. And I felt like, you know, maybe in his context in Washington, D.C., maybe his context in the Deep South where he was a pastor in Birmingham, maybe the predominant culture of T4G being um, Deep South right. um, and maybe urban areas in the North. But I just wondered, you know, is there not racism against Hispanics? What about Asian Americans? What about Native Americans? It just seemed like if you're going to address racism, why limit it to black and white? Why not limit it to all? And I don't like to use the word race because I think there's only one human race, but different ethnicities. Why, you know, why right. just limit it to black and white? And I think probably he did that because systemically in our culture, there's been a systemic prejudice against blacks going all the way back to slavery and that's the most predominant but yet you can make an argument that asian americans were treated unfairly during world war ii right. concentration camps native americans all the way back to trail of tears and how we've you know done done that um hispanics and you know our area is more heavily hispanic here right. in colorado than african americans so yeah and it's just such a complex issue and i you know, some of his exhortations I didn't necessarily disagree with. I think they were probably, you know, they were fairly well, well spoken. It's mm -hmm. just uh, as far as the solution to that, it, it's it's very complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like I don't like it. I, you know, talking about Sundays as a racially, you know, racially ethnicity di divided time. There's a variety of reasons for that. I don't think race is the only one. Sometimes it's church culture. Sure. And you know and I don't know. It was just kind of, it was just kind of weird, uh, just to try to process everything. Yeah, and I and like I, I was turning to I was turning to our our missionary friend that came with us, whose name won't be mentioned on the podcast, just to protect his identity. But um, I, I think the big question we afterwards were like, man, we, it's like it wasn't wrong, but we couldn't like, it wasn't like oh this resonates where I'm like saying amen. It was more like. I agree with like maybe 90% of what you're saying and there's like that 10% I can't quite figure out how to take it. And maybe it were meant to do that. Um, I would just say um, some people I know were deeply offended by it. They right. just, they felt offended by it. I wasn't necessarily offended. I was just more like, I guess the question on racial reconciliation for me is how does it practically work out in your church life? Right. Because I feel like here at Emmanuel, I've never in the 13 years I've been here sensed any racial or ethnic tension. We've got, you know, we're a predominantly white church. I mean, because Sterling, Colorado is predominantly white. But we do have a, a fair number of Hispanics right. or, or Latina people in our congregation. At times we've had Africans. Um, right. You know, I, I don't think there's ever been really a systemic issue in a manual that I've seen and it almost seems artificial to say all right go back and try to work this out when I don't and maybe we're blind to that and we need to see that it's just I've never really sensed that in the life of our church yeah I, I, I guess I was trying to think through like how does that look for northeast Colorado because you know I, I in a sense do you, do you want your church to reflect your community yeah we do and I feel like for the most part our church kind of reflects the ethnic diversity of our of our neighborhood um, I feel like it's, you know, if you're going to look percentage-wise, um, I, I think that's what it is. Um, but I, I don't, we didn't intentionally, like, look for di for, for diverse, and we just tried to make, basically, just be a gospel, yeah, be one a, another church. Yeah, we open the doors, we invite all who want to come, we preach the gospel. And, and a couple of weeks ago in my Galatians sermon, I did address racism, I addressed classism. I mean, that's another issue, I think. Right classism you know it, the haves and the have-nots the those that are more economically 
well-to-do than others? Do we, do we look down upon each other because of our economic and status? I, and I would feel like that's more of an issue where, where we're at than racism. I feel yeah. like there's more of a divide based upon yeah. how much money you make sure. and where you live. Sure. And I think that it, a lot of it's context because after I, Friday night after the conference was over, I have a, a dear friend that I, uh, he grew up in the church that I was a youth pastor. I saw him graduate from high school. I ended up performing the wedding on him and his wife. He's a student at Southern Seminary, and we, we met for dinner afterwards. And um, he shed some light and said he's lived in Baltimore, Maryland, mm-hmm. and he um, lives in Louisville now. And you know, growing up in Colorado, he's like, you know, in Colorado, you don't see a lot of the systemic racism that I see, especially in Baltimore and the urban areas. And I wasn't aware of it until I lived there. So he helped me see um, maybe where it's culturally contextual to where you are. And I think the main point is wherever you are, whether it's in Louisville or Baltimore or Sterling, Colorado or Denver or California or wherever, are you preaching the gospel and does your church in some way, not, I'm, not, I'm not arguing for a quota, but I'm saying in some way, I think your church needs to reflect the ethnic and demographic makeup of your community. Right. If not, I don't think you're being intentional in reaching the people that God has placed sovereignly before you to reach. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to have a certain percentage of this or that. I just think that if you are in an area and, and your church is all white, something's wrong. You're not reaching right. you know, the people. And it may be that you know, a language is a barrier. People speak Spanish. You know, maybe you need to have a Spanish-speaking congregation or whatever. But it's a complex issue that we could probably go on and on about. Right. And I guess uh, I do feel, think in some ways it was sort of like it kind of cast a shadow over the rest of the conference. Yeah, I think it kind of, yeah, it was kind of like, whoa, this was a monkey wrench that kind of made you jolt a little bit. And and it was the, I think it was the last one on the first night, wasn't it? Wednesday night? Right, yeah, it was the last one. So you kind of had time to think about it and then start a new day. I think if his would have been first, it would have really been kind of a different dynamic for the whole or, or even the second one, or yeah, yeah I don't, yeah. I don't know. I just think it, being where it was, it kind of like colored the rest of the com- yeah. conference. Okay, let's talk about Thursday morning session four. Matt Chandler, uh, Matt Chandler was sick, yeah. so his message wasn't very long, and um, I, you wouldn't tell he was sick based upon um, what he was doing. But what were, um, you know, what were some things that you got out of Matt? I didn't take notes on Matt Chandler. I just kind of listened <laughs> to him because yeah. sometimes he breaks all the rules of expository preaching. <laughs> At least yeah. in my mind, is <laughs> someone with a doctorate yeah. in expository preaching. You know, Chandler, I think, did a good job at just kind of expressing a theology of sanctification. Um, yeah. You know, just the, that you can't divorce justification and sanctification. Um, you know, like those two things are interconnected. You know, we do need to keep them separate. Um, you know, those definitions are important. But to say that sanctification is, isn't an essential part of our salvation is yeah. mistaken. And he went to the Sermon on the Mount, right. and, and then he jumped out into um, Romans chapter 12, I think, right. and then gave some examples about, probably the biggest the biggest takeaway from his was the the, the, the commercial with the pers- the woman taming the lion or whatever. <laughs> yeah. you, yeah. what, what was that? See, see if you remember how to, that illustration. Yeah, so it was just kind of like uh, how oftentimes we play around and try to think that, you know, tam- that sin is tame in our lives. And instead of dealing with sin uh, severely and do, doing away with it, it's sort of like we're trying to pretend like sin is just this innocent mm-hmm. old lion that we've nursed in the corner. Yeah, yeah, he did a pretty good job. I mean, it, it, was, it, it wasn't as expository as, you know, I would have liked, but it was more of a systematic theology, I think, of how justification and sanctification work together. 
in the life of a believer. And I, I thought it was pretty, some pretty good exhortations, and I think it, it landed well. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a good sermon. I mean, it really was, was good, you know, good emphasis to talk about that because, you know, he's talking basically I, one of the takeaways I had of that is don't, be, don't shy away from the Bible's imperatives. Imperatives, yeah. And I think that's a, a good thing because there was a movement – well, but about five years ago with Tully and Tavidjan mm-hmm. and his whole, you know, almost like avoiding the imperatives like a plague, just focus solely on justification, rest in your justification. You're going to fail. You're going to sin. You know, Christ did everything for you. So just rest in your justification and don't ever really worry about pursuing holiness. Right. And I think he just said, listen, pastors, there are imperatives in the Bible. They need to be preached. Just make sure you root the imperatives in the gospel indicatives. Right. And I think that's the biblical model Paul gives us. He gives the indicatives first. This is who you are in Christ. This is what the gospel has done. Then about halfway through the book, I'm thinking like Ephesians, therefore, in light of your justification, live a life worthy of the gospel and pursue sanctification. I think if you get those reversed, you, you have a, um, a faulty understanding of the gospel. But both the indicatives and the imperatives got to be there. It's just the indicatives give fuel to the imperatives. Right, and I think Chandler did a good job at showing that connection. Yeah, that was good. All right, the, the one that was the mind-numbing early morning <laughs> session five, Kevin DeYoung, uh, he did a almost like a seminary lecture overview on the immutability and aseity and simplicity of God. Basically, right. it, was divine, it was divine immutability. Right. And I think one of the big takeaways from that is, for me anyway, is to remember to go and study theology. <laughs> because we don't, oftentimes after we've taken it in class, we tend to think our theology's good, done, you know, and it's just like we're, we, we've developed and we can explain everything. And then you hear a message like de Young's about the immutability of God. I didn't know you could talk an hour about it. Um, yeah. Well, afterwards, we're walking out of the M Center, and one of the guys that came with us is like, he was kind of excited. He said, I've never heard a sermon on the immutability of God. So for our listeners, what is the immutability of God? That's a big word. Um, I wouldn't probably, if I were to preach a sermon, I don't know if I would use the word immutability. I may use it and define it. Right. What, is, what theologically are we talking about when we use that term? Yeah, I mean, if you could, you could, he could have entitled the message, The God Who Does Not Change. Yep. Yeah. And I've been reading, a, immutability means God is the changeless um, God does not change in his being or his essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't go from degrees of holiness to unholiness, or he doesn't learn. Not. It's very important in the, con- in the conversation today about open theism, about the decrees of God, about the free will of humans, this whole argument between Calvinism and Arminianism and Southern Baptist traditionalism. You know, over the past six months, I've read two books on, actually three books, on the immutability of God and the simplicity of God, just in my own personal study uh, to understand really, you know, what the scripture says and then what our confessions say about it. And it's been pretty clear going all the way back to the church fathers that the immutability and the simplicity of God has never really been under, I mean, it's never really deviated. There, this is right. one consistent theology that's been since church history all the way through. Now, there have been attacks against that throughout church history that have been heretical. Right. Um, most recently, you know, process theology or open theism. Right. Um, you know. Yeah, and it, it was it was just a good exhortation. Uh, you know, not just a exhortation about the God who does not change. And you know, I lo- I liked his practical applications there at the end. Okay, like why does all this matter? Yeah. And th- you know, those are really w- good reminders. You know, about like okay, if God's immutability, God's changeless nature is important, isn't and is essential for our salvation. 
and you know, and just some of those application points were really. Were yeah, really he was good. talking about you know, if you have not trusted in Christ for salvation, at the end of the day, you know, at the final judgment, you you go before a holy God, and have to face the realities of hell. The unchanging God's not going to change His mind. He's not going to be flexible in His decree. He's you know, it's a fixed reality based upon the nature and character of God. So it does matter. This doctrine does matter. So if you want to really get a deep theology, that was probably the deepest message of the entire. Yeah. And then there was a panel discussion afterwards discussing. Just the, the sermons so yeah. far, I think. Yeah. Um, and then Dr. Moeller, uh, session six, um, he was interesting. He talked about 1 Corinthians chapter um, 5. Oh, before we get to Dr. Moeller, let's do this, because I think that afternoon we had the breakout sessions. Right. So let's talk about your, your particular breakout session, what you went to, what you learned, and how it was beneficial. Yeah, so I went to Lincoln Duncan and Al Moeller's, uh, and they talked about the, they called it the, the theological challenges of today, basically, just the contemporary challenges to Christianity. Uh, the first one they mentioned was the authority of Scripture. I feel like that's always going to sure. be something that's, that's, that's under attack. Yeah. Uh, then they talked about the, basically, hell, wrath, and judgment mm. of, of God and just how those particular things are under assault as well. Um, just people trying to do away with it, sure. not talk about it, um, stay away from that because it's not culturally appropriate. Sure. Uh, and the last thing they talked about was the doctrine of creation, um, mm. and in particular, the marriage and gender, okay. uh, and you know the applications of marriage and gender, um, because that's obviously under attack in our sure. in our culture between you know same-sex marriage, transgenderism, and so that was kind of where they um, that was kind of where they ended. So they just covered all those and just. Uh, just kind of, it was a good open table discussion yeah. between two seminary presidents. Yeah, yeah um, and, and especially, the, especially Dr. Moeller, who knows cultural issues probably better than, than anybody. Yeah. Well, originally, I signed up for Justin Peters' Clouds Without Water, where he was going to talk about false teaching and the word faith movement, but somehow he, somehow I, he didn't end up at the conference, and like a week before, I found out I'd been reassigned to the pastor in politics, and so I didn't want to go to that one. I, they said, go to the one you're assigned to, and I, I have to confess, I broke the rules and was going to go. So I was on my way to go to the one on expository preaching, and, I, and as I was walking, I'm like, you know what? I have a doctor in expository preaching. What am I going to hear that I haven't already heard? And then I realized that John MacArthur was doing a breakout, and I'm like, you know what? John MacArthur hardly ever does a breakout, and this may be one of the few chances I get to have an intimate setting hearing Dr. MacArthur. So I went to his... And there was probably about 100 guys, maybe 200 in this little theater. And his was awesome. It was on basically handling criticism in pastoral ministry. And he just started out, probably spent a half an hour talking about, even when he first got to Grace Community Church in California, just the conflict that he had to deal with and making decisions and the criticism all the way up to the present day, almost by decade. You know, here's what happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and just told war stories. Um, which was really interesting to hear. And then he just said, guys, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. Let's just walk through how Paul dealt with criticism. And it was almost just like a Sunday school class. He, would just, he wasn't preaching. He was just kind of walking us through, teaching us, um, and basically um, talked about you know, how, how to handle conflict and criticism. Then he gave some application points. And one of the things that he did, he, he brought this out later on in his message, but um, he says, suffering is the credential of ministry, not success. I thought that was interesting. And then, do I agonize over the sanctification of my people? Um, that was what he talked about in his message. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I, I wrote down that he says is, 
He says, I don't want to be successful. I want to be useful. And to be useful, I have to be humble. I think that was a good, a right. good word for him. And there was an open question and answer type of thing. And he talked about the thorn in the flesh that Paul had and how God's grace helps us in times of... So that audio will be up, and I encourage any pastor that deals with criticism or conflict or to, to go listen so to So basically that. every pastor. <laughs> yeah, he's got 49 years in one church, so he's got, you know, so... So those were the, and then both of us went to the Southern Baptist thing, and it was more like, yeah. yeah just kind of an overview of Southern Baptist, just, it, it's to, it's to me, it was like taking my Southern Baptist class again, like, oh, hey, you know, we got this thing called a convention, and yeah. you need to participate in this yeah. thing called a convention. Yeah. And then that evening, Dr. Muller preached on 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and 6, which I thought was really good. It, it was pretty expositional, and he dealt with the whole issue of church discipline, mm -hmm. and especially sexual immorality. So his, I thought his message fit with probably most closely with the theme of what I thought the conference was going to be about. And right. it, was pract it was an expositional message on 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, and it, it was practically, you know, as pastors, you're going to have to make some hard calls if you're truly going to be distinct from the world and, and follow biblical, um, biblical principles and biblical truth. Yeah, I guess for me, the thing that really stood out that he, you know, when he was talking about basically the, how we, how we're to judge people who claim the name of Christ and those mm -hmm. who do not. And it's like, if you're going to claim the name of Christ, there is a standard of holiness that comes with that name that we need to be concerned about as a, as a church. And, and whereas if somebody's not claiming the, the name of Christ, well, we want to see him converted. Sure. And, yeah. you know, we're going to be more, um, there's not going to be a discipline on somebody who's not a Christian. Whereas if somebody is a Christian and they're claiming the name of Christ and they're in open sin, yeah, that we need to do something about that. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed his message a lot. Um, and then the one that was probably the most, probably the second most profound was Ligon Duncan, who's an Old Testament scholar. He always gets the Old Testament passage in T4G <laughs> and, yeah. and always makes some awesome application. And he basically traced the whole issue of, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, like the two great commandments and traced right. it all the way from Genesis through Leviticus all the way to... Um, you know, Matthew, and, and, and just walked us through basically right. um, this whole idea of, you know, obedience is not a condition of God's love, but it's to enjoy God's love, and right. just, so what, what did you think of Ligon Duncan's message? Well, Ligon really understands the Old Testament, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and how to preach from the Old Testament well, so if you want a good example of how to preach the Old Testament, you need to go exactly. check out what Ligon Duncan does, uh, because that's one of the, I think, challenges that we have as pastors is, like, we, we want to make sure that our message is Christian. Right. But it needs to be tied to the text that we're preaching. And I think Ligon did a really good job at showing this is how you preach Christ in, in the, the Old Testament. Testament. Yeah, and I think that's one of the hardest things to do because what we tend to do in the Old Testament is we, we want to be faithful to the text, so we'll, t we'll be faithful to the text. But if we're not careful in our application, we can become moralistic and say, okay, you know, put these principles into place and be like this person. When really, uh, if what you preach in the Old Testament is palpable to an Orthodox Jew or a Unitarian or a Mormon, and you haven't brought Christ or the gospel in, you really haven't done justice to to an Old Testament text. And you got to be careful you don't force things in there. And right. um, I think there's a lot of good books out there on preaching Christ in the Old Testament that um, are really good. But I, I think that was a good example. Yeah, and, and as far as his, uh, you know, kind of application where, you know, we, 
need to work on our love of neighbor because that kind of flows out of our love of God. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to say the reason we can do that is we had a neighbor who loved us. His name is Jesus Christ. And it was just, you'd have to go listen to the full message to yeah. see how he taught yeah, I, I would say if, if, if there's one message you want to listen to first from T4G, probably go to Ligon Duncan's just because it was it's just a good example of how to do Old Testament exposition in a Christ-centered hermeneutic. Right. So. All right. Um, then Thabiti Anabwile, <laughs> who I was, I was kind of expecting him to talk about race because yeah. of the MLK 50 and some of the things that had happened with statements he made, but actually... As far as expository, his was probably the most expository sermon of all of them is what I thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought he did a really good job. You know, uh, he I, I'm trying to remember the text that he preached. He was Jude, at the end of Jude. Jude. Yeah, yeah, the end of Jude. And I remember him talking a lot about um, the scoffers, you know, and just the different way that people can, can scoff today and turn up their noses at Scripture and even in our churches and, you know, to kind of harden their hearts um, against what the Word is saying. Yeah, I mean, he basically talked about how you know, there's going to be people coming against the church. There's going to be those within the church that are weak and struggling that we need to to help. And then, you know, ultimately, the church is to be to be holy, and that God's going to promise one day to do that. You know, at the end of Jude. So, really, pretty good. Ex- I mean, as far as expositional, I had no. That was probably the most expositional of, of all the sermons I thought. Yeah. Maybe H. I mean, H. B. Charles it, was. Yeah. H. B. Charles and even Al Mohler, but I mean, his was like almost verse by verse explaining. You know, yeah. he was. It was pretty, pretty good. So. Yeah. And then um, John MacArthur, session nine, mm-hmm. um, that would be Friday afternoon. Or, um, his was basically on Galatians 4.19, uh, Paul's desire to have Christ formed in his people and just his burden mm-hmm. as a pastor, basically saying that the responsibility, basically the responsibility of a pastor is to be used by God as a means of the sanctification of your people. Right. And that we need to agonize over the sanctification of our people and we need to you know, really just you know, pray for their sanctification, work for their sanctification, you know, be, be, be that as, you know, focus on discipleship. And, and one of the statements he made about the, se- you know, don't focus so much on who's not there that you lose sight of who, who is there. Maybe explain what he meant by that statement. Yeah, it's just, you know, versus counting the empty chairs. You know, what is, what is it, how is Christ being formed in the person who's there? You know, what does my ministry look like to the person that is, uh, you know, in that chair? And how are those Christ being formed in that person? So I, th- I thought it was just a good exhortation because, you know, oftentimes as, pa- as pastors, you know, or, or as a youth minister even, you, you start looking at, at who's there. And instead of, like, focusing on your consistent attenders th- in the back of your mind, you're like, man, this isn't as many people as were here last week. Where did they all go? Right. And, and one of the things that was pretty John MacArthur-esque is he used a lot of Scripture. I mean, just a lot of Scripture. <laughs> yeah. and, and that just part of his personality. Um, it kind of fit in with the, the Vine Project is a thing that we are working through as elders kind of behind the scenes in our church right now as a holistic discipleship model. And um, we got to meet with the guys of the Vine Project for a breakfast. But the whole goal of the, defi- of the Vine Project is how do you build a disciple-making culture in the life of your church and focus on that, you know, where everybody connected to your church is moving towards growth in Christ. And so I thought his message was kind of a biblical foundation to what the Vine Project is practically. So I, I kind of saw those two fitting together a little bit. Yeah, and I appreciate it because, you know, sometimes you might think, like, what was Paul's pastoral, like, if, if Paul, what was your job description? You know, if you could describe your ministry in a sentence, how would you do that to the churches? 
And I think he did a good job at describing, like, okay, this is what Paul would say. Like, this is yeah. my, my ministry to the church is to see Christ formed in them. Yeah. And I thought that was really well done because it's not something I really think about with Paul. Yeah. And then the final message, they ended up with John, uh, John Piper. And um, his message I never take notes on because I just want to kind of sit and listen because it's <laughs> kind of profound. But his, his whole point was that saving faith is more than just cognitive understanding of who God is, but it's more a total heart change through regeneration that opens your eyes to the truth of who God is. I, am I getting what he said? I mean, it was a pretty profound message. I think you have to go back and listen to it a couple of times. Yeah, I think uh, he was talking about the most essential difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that the Christian, the Christian joy right. that we find in Christ. Yeah, it's not just information. It's not just, you know, theology, but it's actually a heart change right. to where we are enjoying and glorifying God for who he is and that comes through the heart change and regeneration right and, yeah. and so that's so he was really <laughs> it was kind of interesting how he preached it because I think it was about fi a 15 minute introduction yeah it was a 15 minute <laughs> he's like okay I'm gonna blow away Arminianism in any type of non-reformed view of, of, of regeneration in my first 15 minutes before I get to Psalm I think it was what Psalm 4 was what he Mm, yeah, I, I don't remember the exact passage. It was a psalm. I do remember that. Let me look at my notes here. I think it was Psalm 4. Maybe I didn't write it down. I think it maybe was Psalm 4. But yeah, but anyway, his, it was kind of, it was interesting how he talked about it. He was choosing his words very carefully. Yeah, um, yeah. And, I, I, and he had like a thesis, like the most essential difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is joy. I, paraphrasing a little bit yeah. but that's he yeah. was being very precise yeah. with his words and that's and so that message was, was was pretty much ultimate john piper i mean as far as his whole theology of you know christian hedonism and, and all that kind of stuff so i encourage you to go listen to that just for a profound right understanding so those were the those were the actual talks but one of the great things about together for the gospel is singing um, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with 12,000 people in a basketball stadium. Mm -hmm. um, were there any particular songs that you remember that spoke to you that were new that we hadn't sung? Some of the songs were pretty new. I, I know like about half of them, I looked at the copyright, were within the last couple years mm -hmm. written. You know, I can't say for me there are so much the new ones. I, I enjoy, may, maybe I, even though I'm in my 30s, I enjoy the old ones. <laughs> yeah. You know, sing, sung with a bunch of uh, individuals. Actually, I think there was a couple old hymns that we sung that I was not familiar with. Because uh -huh. I've grown up in more the CCM era, um, sure. And so there were some hymns that we sung that I didn't really know. I was like, "Oh man, this is kind of new," um, but it actually ended up being a an older um, an older hymn. And you know, but probably for me, I I liked the 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 hymn it as well. And that was just just to hear twelve thousand voices doing it as well uh, with my soul and. Just a pretty awesome time of, of, of worship. Um, Jesus, thank you. I remember that, that that one stuck out to me. Yeah, and I've got the words to Jesus, thank you. Um, it says, the mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend, the agonies of Calvary. You, the perfect Holy One, crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. I like that line. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. A second verse, by your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy, you've made your friend. Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace, your mercy and your kindness knows no end. Your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. 
Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. Um, and then there's a bridge where it says, lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Uh, those are really good. You know, and good the words. one of the reasons it stood out to me is because a lot of, there's not too many, like, hymns of thanksgiving mm-hmm. that, that we sing. And to me, that was a, that was a good hymn to sing because it's a reminder that often in the Psalms, it doesn't just talk about praise. It also talks a lot about thanksgiving. Right. And yeah, and I, and I think that um, they were recording that, so I'm wondering if they're going to be putting out an album. I think they put an album out about every three years of T4G songs, yeah. so you can look for that. It's really hard to describe. You can't really describe the, um, the power of being in a room, not a stadium, with that many people, uh, especially men's voices you right. know, singing to the top of their lungs. And it was just a piano, uh, Bob Coffin on the piano, and then just the voices, which kind of reminds me that... Um, when you think about congregational singing and congregational music, sometimes in our church culture today, we focus so much on the praise band or the praise team being like putting on a performance for us to watch as opposed to when we gather for congregational worship, we're really the ones that are participating right. and that the ultimate voices that need to be heard are the congregation. And I think that they kind of modeled that, that ultimately... The, the congregation's voices need to be the loudest and that we're all joining in worship together. And that Bob Coughlin was a worship leader on the piano, but you didn't think about Bob Coughlin. You thought about the songs, the words, and in, in, in Christ to yeah. whom you were singing. And, you know, and he would uh, at various times stop playing, stop uh, singing into the mic so that it was just us carrying. Yeah. carrying yeah. And, you know, I think he, and you wouldn't even notice that he had stepped Stop. away. Yeah, yeah. He, that he had stepped away. Yeah, we were singing Acapulco at that time. Yeah. Acapella. All right. Well, that pretty much sums up the, the T4G. Do you have any final reflections or things that you want to, that you came away with just, you know, personally, spiritually, relationally? Um, how, how did you, how did it kind of land for you when, when you look back last week? You know, I'm, uh, I guess I'm grateful to that, that there are these conferences that are out there for us to go to and be encouraged as a as a pastor as a leader of a church it's it's good to be poured into uh, mm-hmm. because it's not most of our year most of our ministry is pouring out and it's good to get uh, a, a chance to be refreshed and um, and encouraged among other pastors and so um, I, I liked the week it was it was good um, I, I guess uh, still, <laughs> I, I think with the exception, and we, as we mentioned, with the exception of, of Platt's message, I think it was a, it, it was a kind of a hard one to deal with, but all the rest of them were, were well done, mm-hmm. and I didn't really have yeah. any problems with the other ones. Yeah, I think the thing that every year, I mean, the messages are good, and I, and I, and I remember some of the messages. I think the big takeaway for me is, you know, when you're out pastoring in a community of 15,000, and you serve your church and you do expository preaching and you believe the doctrines of grace and you're you know, trying to minister to your people, sometimes you can think, man, I'm the only one that's doing this. Um, and then you come to a conference like that and you see, you know, 12,000, not that everybody was pastors there, but you see 12,000 people there that are like-minded. And it gives you hope to know that all over the country and all over the world, there are faithful pastors who are preaching expositionally, who are focusing on the gospel, who are you know, not given into pragmatism or church growth gimmicks, but are just focusing on how God grows his church. And it gives you great hope to know that, you know, God still builds his church. God's still in charge. God's raising up a new generation of faithful 
pastors, and regardless of what you see in the church world, or regardless of what you see in the evangelical subculture, uh, there really is a, a great movement of God, of pastors that are faithful. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm grateful to be there. And it's, uh, Mark Dever's book giveaways at the beginning are always kind of fun and interesting, but one of the things that stuck out to me, even in a book giveaway, was just the longevity of some of the individuals that both of lay leadership and pastoral leadership, and it's just impressive to me just to think, like, some of those were lifetimes of service. Yeah, he does a thing at the beginning where he asks people to stand if you've served, and one guy was an associate pastor's church for, what, like 43 years or something like that? Right, yeah, yeah. and it's just like, wow. Just oh, the funniest thing, this was the funniest oh, yeah. thing that happened, that maybe, maybe you didn't see, that they give book giveaways, and so it was for the longest pastor at the same church. Right. And so even, <laughs> so like, make you stand, so John MacArthur won it. And he goes up on stage, and they give a good book giveaway, and what they give away is, is his whole commentary <laughs> set. So John MacArthur receives his own commentary set, and then he's like, I better read this to find out what I believe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was pretty good. That was funny. This is another side note about MacArthur. In the, in the breakout session with him, he said it was funny. because Somebody asked a question from the, con- from, the, from the audience. Do you preach out of the John MacArthur study Bible? And he's like, no, I don't, because I need to have you know, big print because my eyes are getting, so I just use just a regular Bible. And he says, what's funny, though, is my wife, she sits on the front row, and she studies along in the John MacArthur Study Bible. And sometimes after the service, she'll say, your study notes are different than what you <laughs> preached on the sermon. And he's like, well, I guess sometimes your theology changes over the years. And so that was kind of funny. Yeah. No, so I, I just, uh, just a good, encouraging time. Um, it's good to spend time with leaders in the church, you know, in our churches as well, just to encourage one another to talk about some things, because we don't often get time to just oh, yeah. be there together. Yeah, I mean, we, we had the joy of bringing along one of our missionaries, um, where you guys got to know him more. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, we had an elder besides you and me come along, a lay elder. We had a, a layman in our church that, you know, has gone and passed, and so it's just good to talk about theology, church life, spiritual growth, all those different things together when you don't normally talk about those things. And so um, I tell people when they ask, you know, what are you doing with T4G? I say, it's kind of like youth camp for pastors. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, yep. you know, you can look forward to going and getting poured into and experiencing, you know, just refreshment. And it's, I think it's needed for yep. pastors. So, well, that probably sums up our reflection on Together for the Gospel 2018. Again, you can go to t4g.org and get all of those uh, messages on video and kind of experience what we experienced. Um, thank you for listening to Understanding Christianity. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. Um, we do want you to correspond with us. You can go to seancole.net to find all of our contact information. You can also go to the Understanding Christianity Facebook page if you want to like that page or share that page. Uh, you can go to my personal Facebook page and, and message me there. Um, you can also email me. Um, there's different ways to get a hold of us. We'd love to interact with you. Um, and until next time, I keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.